Welcome to Hospitality Forward, a podcast where hospitality and travel professionals learn how to earn the media spotlight. My name is Hana Lee. I am president of Hana Lee Communications, an award-winning public relations agency in New York City. And I'm Michael Ann Stendig, editor-in-chief at Hana Lee Communications and a food and beverage writer. As a journalist myself and Hannah as a PR professional, we understand the power of media coverage and its impact on someone's career and business. That's why we launched our podcast to help our industry rebuild and rebound by interviewing top journalists who share their insights and tips for gaining the media's attention. In this episode, we're delighted to chat with Kat O'Dell a food and travel journalist whose work appears in Vogue, The New York Times' Tea Magazine, Thrillist, Eater, Travel and Leisure, Condé Nast Traveler, and other top outlets. Kat is also the author of two books, Day Drinking and Unicorn Food. In addition, she is a taste hunter for the world's 50 best restaurants and the world's 50 best bars. Hi, Kat. Welcome to the show. So great to see you. Thanks, guys. Great to see you as well. Kat, you are a taste hunter for the World 50 Best Restaurants and the World 50 Best Bars. So what does that entail and what do you do for them? Sure. So I've been part of the 50 Best organization for about, I think, three-ish, three-plus years now. Um, and I work with them in two different capacities. I um, work with 50 Best as a writer, journalist. So I write a lot of the winner profiles. Um, when you see the awards listed, you know, one to 50, I've written a lot of those profiles. Um, I've also contributed to their blog slash website. Um, which can be articles. It can also be um, specific features targeted to certain awards that chefs are winning. So that's sort of like the journalistic side of what I do. And then um, 50 Best also has a, um, a group of about 20 people around the world, food and drink enthusiasts that they file under a category called Taste Hunter. And so um, it's a big social media endeavor and we work with the brand and providing content. We travel all around the world and eat and drink and photograph <laughs> food and drink. Um, and then we post on our own channels. And then of course we also share with 50 best and they post on all of their channels. So, you know, it's a way to help generate awareness about different restaurants and bars around the world. And I, as somebody that loves to travel and loves to eat and drink, um, it's really fun to be part of, part of their organization. What a fun job. Yeah. Great gig. How do we sign up for that? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. You just have to like, love to eat and drink. <laughs> so, Kat, you've been a freelance writer for many years now, covering really a wide array of topics from food and drinks to wellness and travel. So how did the pandemic change the way you work? And did it give you any new perspectives on how to approach a story? Um, sure. So what I most found um, with a lot of the editors that I work with is that the um, scope of content was different. So for example, I've worked a lot with food and wine and I covered a lot of new openings. And so of course, you know, during a pandemic, <laughs> there aren't any openings. And, you know, our industry over the time has pivoted uh, very much. And I actually saw this coming pandemic aside, but um, really focusing more than ever on delivery models. So I started pivoting a lot 
and focusing obviously on um, businesses that we're offering to go. And then, um, of course, with, uh, you know, the outdoor dining um, option. So I, I'm writing these maps, you know, ha- having to specify rather than taking for granted that you have an indoor dining option or a bar option, which luckily we now have bar seats again, but um, uh, making sure to call out like how, how you can order and where you can sit, which, you know, I never had to do in the past. And of course, it's a direct result of the pandemic. I mean, restaurants have been looking to expand beyond their four walls. Yeah. And uh, delivery is a very important component of that, obviously. Definitely. And, you know, so many restaurants erected outdoor structures um, for, for, you know, added seats. But what I, from speaking to a lot of operators, um, the outdoor dining option, which of course so many restaurants could never have in the past has been so successful that I think many people want to want to keep those seats. And of course, during the summer when everyone is, you know, keen to sit outside, that's even better. I've also noticed I live in Dumbo. So some of the roads are blocked off and there's just like all these outdoor dining seats for businesses to take advantage of, which is really nice. Another great example is I uh, really love Yakitori and there's a newish spot called Chikarashi Iso and it's um, at the 50 Bowery Hotel on the second floor. And they built this uh, really beautiful, very uh, Japanese tea house designed outdoor structure that really actually, I've, I've sat out there when it's pretty cold and it does really shield the, the wind very well, but it's perfect for outdoors. And if you can imagine sitting at a counter with like this large bincho ten, bincho grill, you know, and the smell of, of bincho and um, just kind of wafting in the air, it's like actually really magical. And they've done such an amazing job and it's going to be incredible, you know, this summer when it's really amazing and pleasant to sit outside. So there's, I think there's, you know, it's been such a tough time, such a tough year for so many people. But um, I know there's also a lot of people that have had really positive outcomes from the pandemic, which is really, you know, like a silver lining. That's very true. Speaking of the Japanese food, actually, I enjoyed reading your great roundup on Thrillist of the best omakase sushi menus in New York City. So, um, you know, there are a lot of omakase sushi restaurants in town. Sure. What are the top factors when you're choosing place to cover? There, you know, the entire experience factors in. Um, you have to. It has to be a bar. It has to be a counter. Yeah, the, for me, um, I'm really particular about um, any type of sushi dining, and if it's not a bar, I won't. I, I won't bother going, to be honest, because it changes the dynamic of the experience, and you really need to. For a proper omakase, you really need to be able to eat the bite within 10 seconds. And when, unfortunately, when you're sitting at a table, you can't do that. Um, obviously, the quality of what's being served. So the rice and the fish. And actually, the, the rice is the most important component. It's not the fish. The fish is very important. So I, I go on Instagram and I look at what the nigiri looks like. Um, first, of course, I want to learn about the chef, but I look at how the rice, like <laughs> very detailed, but I look at how the rice is polished, which can gives me, it gives me an indication of the quality of rice that's being used, which also it gives me an indication of the overall experience. So in terms of uh, places getting on your radar, do a lot of them come from PR pitches or is it word of mouth or is it you scrolling Instagram? Um, it's all of the above. I think word of mouth is the most powerful personally. I get a lot of pitches in Typically, what I do is if it's a restaurant that I'm unfamiliar with, I'll click on their Instagram and I like to see what what they have on their Instagram is a really powerful tool. Um, I feel like I'm I'm I have a good ability to judge the quality of a restaurant by the photos I see. I can just tell 
if it's something that I'm going to like or not based on what the food looks like, how it's plated, um, ingredients used. So I will typically go on Instagram and then I'll, I like to read menus. So I also will read a menu before I determine if it's a place I want to go, unless it's, you know, a chef that I'm already a fan of. Like if the Sushi Nas team opens something, I'd go there no matter what, just because I already trust them. And I, you know, I trust the quality of what they're going to be serving. So it varies. Um, I definitely learn about places through PR pitches. Um, word of mouth is very important. Um, and then I do randomly find on Instagram just through other people posting new restaurants as well, or just like places that I want to go that I haven't been. In addition to Instagram or your own personal connections, how do you find fresh new ideas all the time and also new sources to interview? A lot of what I am inspired by are random occurrences in my life. For example, I might not be able to find uh, like really great uh, jamon, like Cinco Jotas, jamon de uh, Iberico, and that'll inspire me to suggest a guide on where to eat the best hemon in New York City. Or, um, and also, I think being out so often, I experience a lot of trends in restaurants. Um, you have to be out there in order to really know what's going on and pick up on, you know, things, overlapping ideas that chefs are um, sort of like latching on to or, or trends, other trends in like genres of food, or even it could be technique, um, cocktails. It really varies, but a lot of it is just from personal experience, really. Well, you have an incredible chef boyfriend, Mike. <laughs> Does he give you some tips where to go, where to find some sources? No, I give him all the tips. We <laughs> joke about, he likes to joke about like to his friends. He's like, I don't know what we're ever doing anywhere. I just like hang on to her shirt and she brings me places. Um, <laughs> Sounds like a good yeah, life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he doesn't, he's just, he doesn't stay on top of it the way that I do. And he loves, he's an avid diner, you know, loves to dine, loves to experience food. And, um, and I think he really trusts me and my, uh, my sort of like opinion on where we should go. But for me, anytime I travel anywhere, I do extensive research on what the top restaurants are. And when I say top, it doesn't have to be fancy fine dining. I just want the most authentic version of the cuisine of wherever I am and wherever I'm heading. Um, so like we're, we're going to Morocco in a couple weeks. So I've been doing a lot of Morocco research. Um, we're going to Miami next week or this week, actually. Mike is cooking for South Beach Food and Wine. So I've been trying to figure out if there's anything oh, new we want to try. Yeah. So I, I do all the research. <laughs> he just he comes along for the ride. All right. So now let's talk about some practical tips for our audience. Sure. You know, they are chefs and hoteliers and sommeliers and bartenders and more. So other than doing the homework and knowing what you do, what are do's and don'ts that would you recommend for our listeners? How do they get to you? Um, I think it's really important to not copy what other people are doing and have original ideas. So just thinking off the top of my head, one of like a cocktail feature that I did right before um, COVID sort of kicked in was I received a pitch about a bartender in Brooklyn making drinks with burrata water, which I thought was really, really interesting. It creates this viscous mouthfeel in a cocktail um, while adding like a salinity and a subtle um, creaminess. So that's something that really stood out to me. And I think that, you know, there's so many people, whether it's in restaurants or bars, and a lot of people copy, copy, copy. So 
you know, I'm always on the lookout for something that I ha- have an experience and something that is new and novel, but not something that, something that makes sense. Something that, um, not like changing the color of a cocktail and turning it all rainbow and purple. I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in a smart idea that stands out um, and will yield a delicious product. So I think it's really important to have creativity and also when specific to writing pitches, you know, long pitches are not great. I don't read them unless it's an article that I'm working on. It's important to start the topic of whatever it is you're emailing and highlight whatever is most interesting or unique about that venue and call that out from the very beginning, because a lot of people just don't have time to, you know, spend five, 10 minutes on an email. Um, just because of so many other things that people have on their plates these days. Um, so I always I always like it when somebody sort of understands my writing style and what I would be interested in and pulls out that one thing that stands out and says, oh, this is an interest." And the person and the Barada Water article, that's exactly what that person had done. And I was like, that is actually really cool. And I want to write about that. So that would be my piece of advice. Good advice. Good advice. So let's let's move on to another topic. I know you're uh, you're quite an accomplished author. I just finished my first book, so I know how much work goes into it. So much work. Unless you've done it, you don't you don't really know. But uh, you have you have two books under your belt, uh, Day Drinking and Unicorn Food. So congratulations on that. Thank you. Do you have any other new books in the pipeline? Well, not a book, but we will be opening a restaurant. Congratulations. Tell me more. Tell me more. I know you've been dreaming about it with Mike for a long time, but where? Um, Well, we are looking at a space in the West Village that we're about to sign a lease on. So maybe next year. So what's what's the cuisine? What's going to be the concept? Um, It will have a Japanese influence, of course. (laughs) Not surprised, given your passion for all things Japanese food and culture. That's great. Congratulations. Thank you. So, you know, obviously the the restaurant and the bar business faced a huge existential crisis with the pandemic. And now really from a a personal point of view, you know, you're, you're getting back into the game. So how do you see the experience changing as a result of the pandemic? Or is it going back to what we knew? Or are, are you and other restaurateurs looking at this from a different point of view? Well, I think on the subject of delivery models, that will continue. And I think that will only grow. And I also think that the idea of having, let's say, like a ghost kitchen, right, without an actual brick and mortar, really just a commissary and a concept, I think that that idea of a ghost kitchen will there will be more operators opening ghost kitchens but under you know under their like pre-established restaurant umbrella so it won't just be some random person you've never heard of but it'll be you know really thoughtful concepts um because i do think that i think that delivery models will continue to thrive so there's sort of that aspect of the conversation that being said you know i think that so long um people haven't been able to dine out and have experiential um, meals. And I think that this concept of like ticketed dining experiences and meals that are more than just sitting at a table and eating food will also continue to grow because people haven't been able to experience really special meals in so long. And I think so many people are looking for this like elevated special dining experience. So I really see tasting menus coming back strongly, um, people looking for experiential meals. But, you know, Mike and I have had this conversation. What does the future of dining look like? And I have different answers for that. But 
I also think that there's something to be said. I don't, I don't really have the exact answer, but I think there's something to be said for, you know, sitting down, um, scanning a QR code, having a pretty seamless meal, even ordering in advance before you get to a restaurant. I think there'll be technological advances that do change the face of what dining in a restaurant looks like. Um, and I think it, that's very slowly starting to happen and will continue to happen. I, I don't know exactly what the outcome will be yet, but I do think that the way people eat pre-pandemic will be different going forward in the future. Couldn't agree more. What, what do you think about the uh, automat concept coming back? You know, basically the food is prepared and it's sitting in a, in a heated booth and you go up and grab it yourself. That concept doesn't speak to me because I don't ever, I, I'm the type of person that I want all of my food always prepared fresh. I won't go somewhere that has food sitting out. I've never liked buffets. I've never liked um, pre-prepared salads sitting in cases. I always want something freshly made because it's just not as good when it's just sitting out all day. Um, but I think that, you know, quick serve models will do well but i but i also sort of i sort of see this um the middle ground so of you know fast casual and then very high end and i could see the middle ground of operators actually losing some business because people want affordable eats right coming out of the pandemic people perhaps don't have as much money to spend on dining but then you also have people that want to save up and spend on these crazy dining experiences to have a really special evening so if anything i would see the sort of like middle middle genre of restaurant maybe suffering a little bit more than the other two uh, sort of classes of dining. Interesting. Yeah. So we all know that you have the travel bug. <laughs> well, <laughs> after Miami and Morocco, what is the next destination that you are excited about? So we're actually about to get a puppy. So it depends when we get our puppy oh. because that's ah. affecting our ability to plan travel at the moment. Based on the fact that Italy is about to reopen, it could be Italy. Um, mm -hmm. we're, Mike is doing a, a collaboration in Japan in October. So we're, I mean, Japan is our top destination. If Japan were to open today, we'd be there today. <laughs> um, we're really waiting for Asia to reopen in a way that we can return. So fingers crossed that we can go to Japan in October. We're really hoping that, uh, Americans are allowed in. That would be our top choice. But before then we may do Italy this summer. Um, and that's pretty much, we're trying to stay local a little bit more just because of potentially getting a puppy, which, you know, we're not going to be able to really travel for a while having a dog. Um, I would say that Italy would be our next focal point for travel. Always a good choice. Yeah. As you know, we call our podcast Hospitality Forward. So is there anyone or any organization in particular that you think is doing something special? and is moving hospitality and travel forward. I mean, maybe this is because I have such an affinity for Japanese cuisine, but there's a there's a word in Japanese called their omitonashi, and that's this idea of, um, it's a word that encompasses Japanese hospitality in which you anticipate what a guest needs before they even need it. Um, so that could apply to restaurants, that, that, that can apply to hotels. And I think that culturally, the Japanese are the most thoughtful um, and considerate of their guests. So I would I would frankly look to places like Nas and Nakaji, which um, you know are really wonderful in terms of FOH team. Um, obviously, they're they're killing it. They're serving incredible incredible food. Um, but you know, it's small details like sitting walking into a walking to a counter, and then before service, they start burning um, a little bit of like uh, hinoki incense. So all of a sudden, the entire room pre pre first bite 
is perfumed with hanoki and it's really subtle and maybe some people don't even notice it right but it's it's there and it's happening um but it's these really slight nuanced um choices that certain restaurants make that elevate an experience and i always find for me that that most applies to japanese cuisine and japanese restaurants well speaking of japanese food and drinks i think we will get you a copy of our agency's first book Ooh. written by michael co-authored with masahiro urashido of Katana awesome, Kitten. Awesome. It's all about the Japanese art of cocktail. So it's coming out on June 1st. So we'll get you a copy. Thank you. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you very much. So before we go, for our audience who want to pitch their stories to you, what's the best way to get to you? Email or honestly, I use Instagram a lot, but probably for like editorial email would be best. Um, the email is cat at catodell.com and you can always reach out to me on Instagram. I do use Instagram a lot as well. That's great. Thank you. It's been so great chatting with you, Kat. Thanks, yeah, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Great to see you both. Okay, bye. Bye. Passionate, kind, and worldly. These words nicely describe who Kat is. Now that you know what Kat is looking for, please feel free to reach out to her with your story ideas. And don't forget to mention that you heard her on our podcast. We have a lot of exciting media guests in the pipeline as well. So please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcast app. Please leave a review and tell your friends and colleagues who you think would benefit from the tips our journalist friends share on our show. See you next week. Until then, join us as we move hospitality forward together.